I'm so glad you're here today. We're continuing our series we started last week. We've called Only God. And uh, maybe you heard this story. There was a guy who was uh, working on his motorcycle, and it started to rain. And so he moved his motorcycle up onto the patio, and he had a bowl of gasoline and some towels, and he was cleaning the parts of the uh, motorcycle. He got done, and so he decided he just wanted to crank it and see how it ran, so he sat on it, and he went to crank it. And when he cranked it, he didn't realize this. It was already in gear. How many of you have ever ridden a motorcycle? You know what about, about to happen. So he cranked the gear. So that thing lunged forward straight through the back sliding glass door of his patio, drove into the living room, tumped over, and there he is lying in the living room floor with uh, just scrapes and cuts and glass and blood, everything draining out everywhere. His wife's in the kitchen. She hears it. She runs into the living room and says, oh, my goodness, what has happened? Uh, and so she calls the uh, hospital. They send an ambulance. The paramedic comes in. They get him. They try to stop the bleeding. They bandage him all up. They take him onto the little hospital gurney. And it happens they live in this giant hill, so the ambulance can't come all the way up to the house. They have to park on the road. So they have to take him down all these steps, and he's just bouncing. You know what I mean? He's this poor guy. You know, what did he do to deserve? He's a good guy. What did he do to deserve? He's just bouncing, 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 bouncing. So his wife follows him to the hospital, gets him, gets him there, gets him taken care of, brings him home later that night. He's got stitches all over him. You can imagine how sore he is. The muffler on the motorcycle burned his leg. He's just having a bad day. She puts him to bed, turns the light out, everything's fine. So she feels so bad, she decides, you know, I want to help him if I can. So she goes and starts cleaning up everything. She takes the extra gasoline and pours it into the toilet and takes the uh, rags that are gas-soaked and puts it in the trash can in the bathroom and just not thinking. And so a few minutes later, he wakes up and decides, now look, this guy's not perfect, okay? All his habits aren't gone, but he's a good guy. This guy wakes up and says, man, I, I need a cigarette. So, so he lights a cigarette and at the same time realizes, I go to the bathroom. So he goes and sits on the toilet and he smokes a cigarette. And when he gets up, he flips it into the toilet where the gasoline was, unbeknownst to him. And it blows him off the toilet like a rocket, straight through the bathroom door, into the hallway, into the floor. His wife hears the noise, the explosion, and she comes running in and thinks, what has gone wrong? She sees him lying in the floor with the back of his pants gone. They've been blown off, and his backside burned all the way up to his neck. She calls the hospital. It just so happens the same paramedics respond. They come all the way up the 100 flight of stairs. They see him lying there. They feel so terrible. They get him all in the gurney, and they start bouncing him down those stairs again. You can imagine how fun that was. And on the way down, they ask the wife, how did this happen? When she explains it, they lose it. They can't control themselves. They're laughing. They drop him. He rolls down to the bottom of the street, breaks his collarbone. His wife's so embarrassed, she leaves him. Now, that's what we call a bad day. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but it does highlight... This one deal. <laughs> Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a heavy question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Some people say that God's like a watchmaker. He made the universe and he winds it up and he takes his hand off and lets it go and just watch it, watch it, watches it operate. But he doesn't really get involved. Well, that paints a picture of a God that's really unloving, it's uninvolved, doesn't care. 
Some people say that God does care and he does love, but he's limited on what he's actually able to do. Well, that paints a picture of a God that's different than the God we see in the Bible, a God that's all-powerful and unlimited and able to do anything. In this series, we've been talking about the things that only God can do. And last week we said, only God calls us to his purposes, and he calls all of us. Today, we're going to say, only God redeems. Only God only God can bring good from bad. Nobody else can do that. Only God can redeem. So we've been finding these only God moments in the life of Joseph. If you're not familiar with Joseph, he was a character in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. If you'll read Genesis 37 to 50, 14 chapters, actually he's, he's the most, uh, he dominates more of the book of Genesis than any other single character. Moses, Abraham, Anybody else? Joseph. More chapters in the book of Genesis than, than anybody else. So we're kind of looking through the lens of Joseph's life, and we're finding these things that only God can do. So why do bad things happen to good people is the one of the most difficult questions that we can ask, and it presses against some of our assumptions. And there's uh, no way you can read the 14 chapters of Joseph's life and not ask the question, why do good th bad things happen to good people? Joseph was a really, really good guy, and he had some really, really bad things happen to him. And so uh, this morning, I want to just highlight for you kind of a theological backdrop from the book Soul Searching. The guy that wrote the book Soul Searching was trying to find what are those pillars of theological belief in America today among young people. What is the prevailing theology in America among young people? Now, as I read it, I went, I think this is not just young people. I think it kind of captures American Christianity in some ways. And here's the theology. I'll give it to you in five, five quick thoughts. But you're going to see how the life of Joseph and this question on how do, how do bad things happen to good people, you're going to see how it pushes against this theology. Number one, there's a God who created the world. Number two, God wants us to be good. This is common in all religions. Number three, the main goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in our lives unless we need something. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Now, that's some of the prevailing thoughts, popular thoughts, among Christians and particularly younger Christians in America today. And you'll see several of these ideas challenged in Joseph's life. Now, rather than this morning than trying to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people, I can give you a short answer. I don't completely know. I've had that question in my own life. However, I'll give you a quick thought. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, and sin entered the world, the world was perfect, and people were perfect. But it was like when you have a car wreck. When you have a car wreck... Bad people get hurt and good people get hurt. When you have a car wreck, uh, people who were blindsided get hurt and people who caused the wreck get hurt. Good people and bad people, and when you have an accident, that's what happened. When sin entered the world, the whole universe had a car wreck. And it caused much more significant collateral damage than we could ever imagine. And so in the wake of that car wreck, good people get hurt and bad people get hurt. 
And, and beyond that, I don't entirely know why bad things happen to good people. But I can tell you this, bad things happen. So for us to think about a God who has the ability to redeem, there has to be something bad that's happened or no redemption is needed. So this morning, if you have something to write with, I want to give you, I want to really zero our time in on what do you do when bad things happen? Because bad things happen. Let me give you three thoughts this morning uh, we'll see from Joseph's life. Number one, when bad things happen, choose to believe that God is good. When bad things happen, choose to believe that God is good. Now, this is easy to say, but it's difficult to do. It's easy to celebrate God's goodness when things are, you know, good things are happening. It's easy when, when things are going well, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when bad things happen. Our simplistic belief system tends to say... If God is good and I follow God, then only good things are going to happen to me. That's what our simplistic thinking says. When we get a job, a new job, when we get a raise, we find the love of our life, we get a good report from the doctor, we find our dream house. It's easy to say God is good in those moments. Look how good God has been to us. Look at these good things. But we're not even tested in those moments. But what about when your spouse leaves? Or your children have abandoned your faith. Or you lost your job or you can't pay your bills or your health breaks down. The first place the devil will attack your mind is at the point of God's goodness. He will always attack the goodness of God. And the first place your own humanity will call God into question will be at the point of God's goodness. And if your doubts don't go there first... In the long run, they'll drift there as bad things stack upon bad things. And the questions just seem to overwhelm our mind. Why doesn't God help me? God, if you're good, why didn't you stop this? Where were you when this happened? How could you sit there with all the power in the universe, watch this happen, and not do anything about it? Why won't God change the circumstances? Somehow, you and I are so vulnerable to doubt God's goodness that Adam and Eve fell for it before they sinned. Now, I want you to get that thought. That is a powerful thought. Before Adam and Eve had ever sinned the first time and were perfect in their human state, they still fell for the idea that maybe God's not good. So the devil takes on the form of a snake, slithers up to Adam and Eve, and he says, Hey, God told you you can have everything in the garden, but don't eat from this tree. Are you sure he really meant that? And by the way, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because God's not good. Watch. Genesis chapter 3, 4, the snake said to the woman, No, you for sure will not die. In other words, God's lying. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, so Satan's first attack on God is, look, 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 look. God just told you don't eat from the tree because God really has a hidden motive. And his hidden motive is, He's insecure, and he doesn't want you to be as good as he is, so he doesn't want you to eat it because he's not really all-powerful. He's like the guy on The Wizard of Oz pulling the levers. He doesn't want you to pull the curtain back and find that out because he's not really good. He has a selfish intention and a selfish motive. God's not really as good as he says he is, so go ahead and eat it. That was the lie. That was the temptation. 
And before Adam and Eve's brain had even been warped by sin, they bought it. How much more do you think we'll buy it? How much greater of a struggle is it for us? So if I believe God's not good, then how can I trust him to do what's best in my life? If I believe God's not good, I have to look out for myself and I have to take care of myself and I have to make my own decisions because God's not looking out for me. And the subtle lie is what caused sin to enter the world and break all. The cosmic car wreck in the universe was caused because somebody believed God wasn't good. Do not underestimate the power of doubting God's goodness. It will introduce into your life all kind of problems and pain. We become cynical and we become distrusting and we become discouraged. You may be sitting here this morning and say, but you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my parents did. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know how I was neglected. You don't know how I was abused. You don't know how I was betrayed. You don't know what's happened. And look, I absolutely don't know what happened, but I know as we drown in the suffering world, the evidence against God's goodness just seems to keep stacking up. I I don't know if you caught this. uh, Last week, I forget what day it was. Did you get the Amber Alert that went off? Did you guys get that? How many of you you got the Amber Alert? You know, when the phone goes off and you read about this silver vehicle and this guy that's abducted this little girl in Florida, and then eventually they find him in Tennessee, I think, in Memphis, and that thing's going off. And, man, I'm sitting there thinking, I both love this system and hate it. (laughs) Like, I love it that there's a way to track bad people down and protect children, and I hate it that, that I'm sitting there thinking, Right now, while I'm sitting in my living room watching TV or something, eating dinner, there's a little girl who's been taken by some bad guy. Who knows what he's going to do to her? Guy, I want to go get in my car, just drive around and look for him. You know, it's, it's terrible. It breaks your heart, and you think, this is absolutely miserable. And you say, you know, if God was good, why did that happen? Like, why... Why doesn't God have a line where he says, okay, not children? Like it's open season on everybody else, but not children, (laughs) you know? You say, come on, God, why? I mean, if you're good, and if you're not careful, the Facebook messages and the news and, and what's going on around and the pain in your own life just seems to keep accusing God that he's not good and he's not good, that he's not good. People suffer horrific tragedies, and we ask God, if you're good, where are you? And in the worst moments of our lives, we're all forced to make a choice. Either you will choose to believe the Bible is true and God is good, or you will choose to believe that God is not good. And it's critical that you make the right choice because when you choose to believe that God is good, it shapes everything about your world. You see, the goodness of God is actually God's character explaining everything else about God. So God is good. So God's holiness is good. God's judgment is good. God's wisdom is good. God's plans are good. God's purposes are good. God's God's thoughts are good. God's actions are good. God's motivations are good. God's righteousness is good. God's justice is good. His goodness colors every other part of him. And if you misunderstand that 
It will shape the way you view the world. The goodness of God is a perspective by which we see the entire world. What God says is right must be good, and what God says is not right must be bad. So Satan's greatest attack always has been and always will be on you, on your belief, on whether God's good or not. There isn't one person, I want you to think about this, I can't name one person, I thought about it this week and I couldn't come up with one, I can't think of one person who turned their back on God who doesn't have serious doubts about God's goodness. Shouldn't that tell us a lot? That somehow believing in God's goodness is critical to our faith? Or, or either our, our faith gets weak. Now, what does all of this have to do with Joseph? Well, Joseph had plenty of opportunities to doubt God's goodness. So, so let me rehearse a few of those to give you some background on Joseph if you're not familiar with his life. Joseph was a little brother of, of 11 older brothers. Uh, they had this big fight because Joseph was spoiled. He was the baby. And there's a whole backstory. But they, they, they wanted to kill him. That's how jealous they were. That's how mad they were. And they wanted to kill him. And they were going to kill him. But one of them talked the rest of them out of killing him. They threw him in a hole and waited to figure out what to do. And then this caravan came into town. And so they decided rather than kill him, they'll sell him into slavery, keep the money, and then lie to their dad about what happened to him. So they told, they told their dad, hey, a wild animal chewed up your favorite son and ate him and he's gone. Can you imagine... If you had been rejected on that level by your family, by your brothers, by your siblings, can you imagine the pain that it would unleash on your soul? That level of rejection on your soul would be very... Can you imagine Joseph being hauled off in that wagon in shackles as a prisoner, looking out the back of that wagon at his 11 brothers standing there holding the money they sold him for and thinking, where is God? Where's God's goodness in that moment? Well, Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he uh, serves faithfully as a slave. He earns the trust of his owner, and he's eventually put in charge of Potiphar's entire house. Now, Potiphar was an interesting character. Potiphar wasn't just a Marine. He wasn't just a military dude. He was a captain over Pharaoh's bodyguards. This is a for real, this is a Navy SEAL, this is an Army Ranger, this is a for real dude, and he's a captain of those guys. So this is, a, this is a man's man. And he earns Potiphar's trust so deeply that Potiphar puts him over charge of his entire house. Well, Joseph is falsely accused of Potiphar's wife of seducing her. Now, the captain's wife is this, you know, out-of-control cougar who's stalking this younger guy in his 20s. And... The Bible says, if you read the story, she didn't pursue him once. She nagged him. She pursued him again and again and again and again and again until finally he ran out of the room. I don't mean just one day, day in and day out and day in and day out. And finally he rejected her so profoundly, she w her ego couldn't handle it. And she said, I I I she lied about him. She went and told her husband, he tried to rape me. And lied about this young guy who's a slave. 
And Joseph's this young guy in his 20s who's been betrayed by his family who could have easily justified making this move. He could have said, look, I've been rejected by my family. I've been lied about. I've been mistreated. I've been sold. I'm a slave. I didn't do anything wrong. I deserve something for me. He could have justified sleeping with her, but he didn't. He didn't. He said, no, I'm I'm not going to do it. I won't betray the trust of my owner, and I won't betray the trust of God. And instead, he passes through one of the most difficult tests any person in his position could ever be given, the test of sexual purity. And what does he get for it? Well, you think the next chapter in the story would be, and Joseph because of his integrity, because of his obedience to God, that God promotes him to, you know, second in command, the prince of Egypt. That's not what the story says at all. His reward for refusing to take advantage of his owner's wife and staying faithful to God is to be called a liar, to never be given a trial, to never be given the opportunity to defend himself, and to be sent to prison for years. Now, I want you to tell me where God's goodness is in that moment. Where is it? Do you ever feel that way? Have you ever had that feeling that it seems like the harder you try to follow God and the more things you do right, the worse things get? I have had that feeling. You ever had that feeling? Come on, God. Why is it the more I follow you and the more things I do right, the worse things get? Where's God's goodness? So so now Joseph's in prison, and two men in prison have a dream, and God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dream, and one of the men's dream uh, was that he was going to be, in three days, he was going to be restored back to his position in the palace, serving personally for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's mad at him, put him in jail. He has a dream. Joseph interprets it. Three days, you're going to get your job back. You're going to get your old life back. You're going to be in the palace. You're going to be serving Pharaoh. He goes, hey, 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 look, look. I only ask, like I'll interpret the dream, no charge. I only ask one thing. When you get to the palace, would you tell Pharaoh about me? Would you tell him that I'm innocent and somebody lied about me and I shouldn't be here and, and um, I have integrity and you can tell him how, how honestly I served here. And he did. Would you just tell him? And he says, oh, absolutely. Three days later, the dream comes true. He's restored. He goes back to the palace. He's in there partying it up in his old job. And he forgets about Joseph for two years. Like, that's a serious memory lapse. Two years. Where's God's goodness in that? Really? I interpreted the dream. I did what God asked me to do. Where's God's goodness in that? First, it tells us a couple things. One is, God has a different definition of goodness than we do. The second one is, we're not born knowing it. We all have to learn it. (laughs) It doesn't come natural. I don't know when Joseph learned it, and I don't know where Joseph learned it, but I know that he learned that God was good And it affected the way he interpreted all the events of his life. So fast forward in Joseph's life. Joseph gets out of prison. He goes to the palace after those two long years. He serves Pharaoh. And he has such favor with Pharaoh that he becomes second in command. Now, he's a foreigner. He's not even an Egyptian. He's not even from Egypt. But as a foreigner, an enemy of Egypt, he becomes the second in command over the entire nation 
And, and God gives another dream, and a famine's going to come, and the famine comes, and everybody in the whole region is starving to death because of this seven-year famine, and Joseph is over the food. And guess who shows up? Joseph's brothers. And the last time he saw them was looking out the back of that wagon with them chingling together the coins that they sold him for. That's the last time he laid eyes on them. And now they're hungry. And all these years have gone by. And they come to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph has the sole authority on whether they're going to get food or not. And then Joseph, uh, it, it, they, they figure it out. And they realize, hey, this guy who's second in command living in the palace, in the penthouse, with all this money and power, he's not Egyptian. He's our brother. You know, the one that we sold into slavery. Wonder if he forgot. And now they're wondering, what's Joseph going to say? In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said, Hey, you intended to harm me. Hadn't forgot. <laughs> I remember. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I don't know where Joseph learned it, and I don't know when he learned it, but Joseph learned the goodness of God. And he learned to make a choice that to believe, although he had been sold into slavery, although he had been mistreated as a slave, although he had been forgotten in the prison for two more years, he learned to make a choice to believe that God was good. And it changed the way he interpreted all the events of his life. I can remember when I was, uh, had gone off to college and I was home visiting one, one break. And my great-grandmother, who had pastored with her husband for 67 years, just a, just a novice, um, was they had been retired for years. She was about 93 or 4. Her, my great-grandfather had died when I was 12. And she'd been alone those years. And my grandmother and my mom, we'd go by and pick her up on the way to church, take her to church. She loved to go to church. And um, we went by to get her, and they said, Hey, look, uh, Meemaw is hurting uh, so bad, she's not going to be able to go, but can we just go by, you know, you're, you're in school to be a pastor, can we just go, would you just go pray for her? I thought, wow, what, what would I possibly have to offer her? <laughs> and so we go in the house, and her little bitty body, she's all dressed in a little outfit, and she's got her little gray hair up in a bun, and, but she's hurting so bad, the only place she can get any sense of relief whatsoever is just to, at 94 years old to just lay down flat in the middle of the living room floor and hurt. Her body just is small and frail and it just aches all the time. And I thought, you know, okay, here I am. I'm going to go in and I'm going to pray something awesome. Something cool is going to happen. And so I go in to pray for her and um, I just, God, heal her and have mercy on her and help her and love her. You know, I, I thought I was going to go pray something, and uh, I thought I really had something to, to give. And uh, it was she that impacted me, because I can still hear her voice. And I, I don't know if it happened exactly, so this is how I remember it. I walked in the house, and we said a short greeting. And other than that short greeting, I still remember the only other thing she said. And she repeated it over 
and over and over in her quiet little small voice. I heard her say over and over, God, you are good. And you do all things well. God, you are good. And you do all things well. And somehow in her 94-year-old body and mind, she had learned to reconcile the events of life and choose to believe that despite what she was experiencing, God was good. God, you are good, and you do all things well. You and I have a choice. We get to choose to believe God's good or not. Here's the second one. Choose to believe that God is with you. We tend to have like a one-sided view of whether God is with us or not. If there's you know, a near miss, a traffic accident, and, and nothing happened, you say, man, God was with me. You know, I almost had a wreck. An early diagnosis that makes medical intervention possible, man, God was with me, or else how would that, that have happened? Or maybe even something as insignificant and shallow as, I don't know, Christmas shopping at the Galleria. You roll in there and, you know, it looks like, you know, some sporting event is poured out in the parking lot all at one time. And you roll up and the first parking spot right by the door happens to open and you jam in it before anybody else can get there. Speeding in there, two tires, and you say, man, God, God was with me. But that's not what it means for God to be with you. Believing that God is with you also applies when the cars don't miss. Or when the diagnosis comes too late. Or when you have to park across the street and walk to the Galleria. It still applies. And actually, this is better news. If God is not with us when bad stuff happens, how are we to interpret bad stuff? Has God left? Did he leave us? Did he abandon us? Is he not here? If God's only with us when good things happen, there's going to be a lot of days God isn't going to be with you. We can't believe that. Multiple times in Joseph's life, the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph. But I just want to look at two of the more surprising ones. Remember the moment Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He's almost killed by them. Then he's sold into slavery by them. He's looking out the back of the wagon in shackles, watching his brothers grin and laugh and you know, move the coins in their hand. And Genesis 39, 2 says, at that exact moment, the Lord was with Joseph and all went well with him and he was in the house of his boss, the Egyptian. (laughs) At the moment of worse rejection, when things looked like they couldn't go worse other than to die, God was with him. The other time, the captain's wife, who's stalking Joseph, and lies about him, and Joseph is thrown into prison. Genesis 39, 20, 21 says, So Joseph's boss took him and put him in prison, the place where the men who did wrong against the king were put in chains. So there, there he was in prison, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him kindness. He gave him favor in the eyes of the man who watched over the prison. Now what's the message? <laughs> What message can you receive if you're Joseph about the goodness of God? Tell you what, you work hard, you be faithful, you resist sexual temptation, and your reward will be to go to prison. I was hoping, if I'm going to prison anyway, I might as well do it. That's what you'd be tempted to think. But if we're completely honest, 
Sometimes we think, I was sort of hoping being faithful to God would pay off a little more than it has. I was hoping I'd get more for it. Because sometimes telling the truth gets you fired. Sometimes playing by the rules puts you in fourth place when the cheaters get first. Sometimes resisting sexual temptation gets you put in prison. What do you get for it? Well, here's the message. Whether you're rewarded for being faithful to God or punished, and you might have some of both, God is with you. That's the message. God is with you. And you get the two most precious gifts God has to give any human. You get to be closer to him, and you get to become more like him. God has nothing better to give you than that. You get to be closer to him, and you get to become more like him. Psalm 73 says, But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. I want to encourage you today, if you're going through a difficult circumstance, and it seems like the more you do the right thing, the worse things get, please don't interpret that as God has abandoned you. God has not left you. Matter of fact, he's with you. I can't touch him. I can't hear him. I can't see him. But my faith tells me that God is good. And if God is good, God is with me. If God is good, God is with you. Maybe you were here a month ago when we shared this. And if you weren't, I just want to reference it. A month ago, I shared my story. And you can look it up on podcast. If you go to the My Story series and just look under my name, you can find it. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to listen. It'll explain a lot about what I said today. And it'll explain a lot about our church. But there's one thing that I said that day that I've learned, and there's one thing that Joseph learned in this moment. I've learned that it's better to face bad things and know that God is with you than to not know God is with you. And Joseph learned that too. Here's the last choice. Choose to believe that God is redeeming the circumstances. Okay, did God cause Joseph's slavery? Did God cause false accusation? Did God cause imprisonment? No. But he used all of them to fulfill his purposes. Joseph had been through some really, really bad stuff. But by 30 years old, he was the second in command in Egypt. Had Joseph not been falsely accused, and had he not gone to prison... He would have never interpreted the dream of the man who worked in the palace. And he would have never been remembered by the man two years later. And he would have never met Pharaoh. And he would have never heard Pharaoh's dream. And he would have never interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And he would have never got favor with Pharaoh. And he would have never been put second in charge in Egypt in Pharaoh's palace. And he would have never been able to provide the food that his family needed. And his family might have starved to death. Did God cause those bad things? But he used them. He used them. God can take even the most malicious and hateful and evil thing the world can throw at you. And he can bring good from them. 
God is at work in the present even when it doesn't look like it. I wonder how many days Joseph was in slavery or Joseph was in prison and he looked around and he said, this is just another stupid old day in this dumb old prison and God has forgotten me. Pharaoh's forgotten me. The man whose dream I interpreted forgotten me. My family forgot me. My dad thinks I'm dead and God forgot me. I'm just stuck. It looked like nothing good was happening. But God was working. God was working even though he couldn't see it. So here's the thought this morning, if you want to write this down. God does not cause bad things. But he is so infinitely good, he can use even bad things to do good things. God doesn't need good things to do good. God's so good, he can take bad things and do good with them. So glad. (laughs) I'm so glad. Only God can, here it is, the only God series. What is the thing that only God can do? Only God can redeem the worst circumstances and bring something good out of it. This morning, I I, I walked out the back door of the balcony on my way to Life Streams. Which, by the way, we have a phenomenal group there. Starting the last Life Stream of 2016. And I ran into a lady there, and her daughter was saying to me, she just looked kind of beat down, and she'd just come out of the service, and her daughter said to me, she's sad today. And uh, she, was, she was Spanish and didn't speak very much English. And so she was sort of interpreting. I said, why, why is she sad? She said her 32-year-old relative uh, on Highway 280 Thursday had a head-on collision and died. I said, oh, my Oh my goodness. That's a, I just see her just crying, her little body crumpled over, and I just pulled her up on her arm and hugged her. I said, I'm so sorry. I, don't, I can't imagine how you feel today. I can't imagine how, how it feels. I'm so sorry. You hurt, and I know you hurt, and I don't know why this happened, and I'm sorry. But you know, I was so glad to be able to say, thank God that He's with us on days like that. Thank God God's not fragile or easily spooked or is only around when good things are going on. No, God's not a God of that. God's not a God of big things or good things. God's a God of all things. Thank God God's here today. And I don't know how to connect that God's good and this still happened. I I don't know the answer to that. But I know this. Your faith will be stronger if you believe God's good. It'll open up a whole other world to you. And only God can redeem the worst moments of our life. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are chosen to be part of His plan. Let's just look for a minute on what that verse doesn't say. It does not say that all things are good. All things are not good. And it doesn't say that all things come from God. All things do not come from God. Some things come from us. And some things come from the devil. And some things come from a broken world. But it does have one powerful little word there that is unbelievable. It says, but God makes, not creates, God forces. He requires. He demands. He commands. God makes all things work 
together for the good of those that love God. So he calls to attention every activity in the universe on your behalf. And he says, I want the good things. I want the bad things. I want the up things. I want the down things. I want the tragedies. I want the celebrations. I want every one of them. He mashes them together and he says, now work together. Get along. I want everything. I'm going to command everything to work with each other for the good of my son and my daughter. That's good news. So you don't have to worry about how do I explain or how do I reconcile. You serve a God that redeems the worst things. And he'll even, he's so good, he can even make the worst things produce good. He doesn't cause them, but he can force them to produce something good. Even if they were intended for harm. Joseph said to his brothers, hey, let's be honest about something. You were trying to hurt me. You weren't kidding. But God wasn't trying to hurt me. And he meant it for good. And he used it for good. Would you stand with me this morning? And I'm going to ask our prayer team if you would join me here now. If you, you'll just find a place that you can be. You can be still. You can be uh, comfortable. Would you close your eyes? Everybody in the room, would you just close your eyes? And let's go to prayer today. Because these are, man, we, we talked about some heavy things today. And we also prayed before, you know, at the end of worship this morning, God, help me to hear you. And you know, God's been talking all through this service. He's been calling. He's been communicating to so many of your hearts. And He's been saying the things that you need to hear most. Whether you know that or not, He has. Because He knows. And so this morning, God redeems not just circumstances, but He redeems people. Thank God. And maybe you're here and you say, you know, I don't really follow God. I don't have a real relationship with God. I wonder today if God would redeem me and give me a real relationship with Him. If that's you, I want to pray for you today. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I want God to redeem me and to give me a new relationship, a real relationship with Him because I don't have one if I'm honest. I see your hand. Thank you so much. Yeah. Boy, what an incredible day that you were here. Thank you, sir. Somebody else, would you just pray for me? I need a real relationship with God today. I do. I don't have one. I need one. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Yeah. So glad you're here. Thank God you're here. What an important moment. Somebody else. Somebody else. You just lift it till I see it. Now you put it back down. I acknowledge it. Anybody else? Just pray for me today. Man, I need a real relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced a situation. Could have been 20 years ago. Could have been, you know, this week. You may be experiencing a present situation. And you say, man, if I'm honest, this is bad. 
and I need God to redeem it. And I just want to pray today that God will somehow in his own goodness and power bring good from this bad thing that I've been through or I'm in. I need prayer today and I need God to redeem this situation. I need God to redeem these circumstances. Would you just lift your hand and say, I need prayer for that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and lift it up. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the middle, in the back, in the back, in the middle. Yes. In the front. Yep. In the, in the cove. Yeah, in the balcony. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, that's, when you lift that hand up, that's a hand of faith that goes up, isn't it? One more thought, and then we're going to pray. Maybe you're here today, and you say, you know, if I'm honest, my faith is struggling. I'm struggling to believe God's good. I'm struggling to believe God's with me, or I'm struggling to believe God's working. Hey, there's Sundays I could have come to this church, and I could have raised my hand and say, if I'm honest, I'm wondering, God, if you're good, why, why? I've had those doubts. It's okay to have those doubts. It's okay to have them. It's okay to be honest here. I've had them. But today you say, I need God to help my faith because I'm struggling with one of those. Would you lift your hand and say, hey, pray for me today. I'm struggling with one of those. Would you lift your hand today? Last thing, I'm struggling. It's okay. It's okay to be honest. Man, there's there's no way there's nobody struggling with their faith today. I guarantee it. I know it because I've done it. Just lift that hand up and say, hey, pray for me. I'm struggling with my faith. I just want to be honest today. I want to be honest. I need God to help my faith because I'm sort of struggling on whether he's good or he's working or he's helping me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Somebody else. Just lift it up. Say, hey, pray for me today. Pray for me today. Good. Thank you. All right. Let's, let's pray this morning. I want to ask you if you lifted your hand or if you didn't. You need to be redeemed. You need God to redeem circumstances or you need God to strengthen your faith. Man, I want you to come right now and I want you to let one of our prayer team pray for you. This is a safe moment. This is a safe spot. We're not going to embarrass you. Wherever you sit, I just want you to come from the back, the middle. I want you to come right now. Come right now. Nobody's looking. We're not going to embarrass you. If you're in the middle of an aisle, just look at the person next to you and say, hey, can you help me? Can I, you know, can you let me out? I just want to go pray. Come on, come on, come on, let's pray. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to, you know, describe it. But I can tell you this. When you bring the questions that you have, when you bring the struggle you have, and you just say, hey, would you just pray for me? When another believer starts to pray with you, something supernatural happens and your life starts to change. And I promise you, when you leave this place, your faith will be stronger. You'll believe in God's goodness more. You'll be closer to God. He he will strengthen you and encourage you and help you. I promise it. So would you come right now and just just let someone pray with you? I'm going to ask the worship team to sing that song through one time, and then we'll dismiss. But uh, our prayer time is open. Come on and let's pray.
last time through. Make it your prayer. God, I want to hear. I want to feel. I want to see. I want to know. Strengthen today, God. Strengthen our faith. like to stay for prayer after everybody leaves. God bless you. Have a great day. Remember Stokes.